Hello and welcome to the Injury Prevention Podcast from BMJ Journals. My name is Brian Johnston. I'm the Editor-in-Chief. Throughout 2015, the journal is celebrating 20 years of publication. In each issue this year, we're going to highlight a paper from our anniversary archives. These papers were chosen by our readers from the Injury Prevention Archives as manuscripts that have had enduring influence or impact in the field. We've also invited members of our current editorial board to submit their comments or reflections on the paper. You can read these papers without access restriction at injuryprevention.bmj.com. You can also leave comments online, explore other papers in our archives, and link to the blog. Today, we're discussing a paper by Fred Rivara, Diane Thompson, and Robert S. Thompson entitled Epidemiology of Bicycle Injuries and Risk Factors for a Serious Injury a paper that was originally published in Injury Prevention in 1997, Volume 3, pages 110 to 114. And along with the reprinted paper, the current issue of the journal features a linked editorial entitled Building the Evidence Base for Safe and Active Bicycling. To talk about the papers, I'm joined by the lead author of the original manuscript, Dr. Fred Rivara, who is Professor and Vice Chair of the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Washington and core faculty member at the Harborview Injury Prevention and Research Center uh, by Dr. Brent Hagel, who is an associate professor on the research methods team in the Department of Pediatrics and Community Health Sciences at Alberta Children's Hospital in the University of Calgary, and by Dr. Bathy Bell, who is an associate professor of pediatrics and former director and core faculty member at the Harborview Injury Prevention and Research Center, also at the University of Washington. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Drs. Hegel and Ibel authored the commentary and the reflections that accompany Dr. Rivara's paper, but I'd like to start, uh, Fred, with you. Um, can you recall, almost 20 years down the line, what motivated you to conduct the study that we've chosen to reprint? What questions were you hoping to address at that time? Well, this was the largest study at, at that time, and I think still to date, on the effectiveness of bicycle helmets in preventing um, traumatic brain injury in people involved with bicycle crashes. We really wanted to be able to look at the effectiveness of helmets at different ages, um, under different circumstances, and the different types of helmets. So it required us to do a large study of helmet use. Can you talk a little bit about your partnership with Group Health Cooperative and the, your co-investigators? Well, I had a, a very long partnership with both Group Health and Robert S. Thompson and Diane Thompson. They were a couple married, both since retired. Uh, Robert S. Thompson was the Director of Preventive Care at Group Health. And the reason that we had a partnership with Group Health was that it was a wonderful laboratory for us to look at a variety of questions related to injuries, in particular bicycle injuries. They have a population of patients that is large, middle class, and they capture all the medical care that is received by that group of people. So they really were an ideal laboratory to explore different injury research questions. Fred, did you encounter any problems or resistance getting the study funded or completing it or publishing it? We were very fortunate in having Snell Memorial Foundation as partners with us on this study. They actually approached us to do a large study on the effectiveness of bicycle helmets and provided support and guidance throughout the study. 
we really didn't have pub- trouble getting it published. Injury prevention was a wonderful outlet for it. And it really, at that time, bicycle helmets were relatively new on the scene. Um, people just were in the process of adopting their use. And so this information, I think, was widely used, and there was a great deal of interest in it at the time. Brent, uh, do you want to maybe tackle this question? How, how do you think the uh, paper was influential what made it memorable? Why why is it featured in our anniversary collection? Sure. I think there were uh, at least three reasons that it was a very important paper. Uh, I think it was a really significant public health issue, the issue of um, bicycle injuries, uh, particularly in children and adolescents. I think it's still, unfortunately, a, a public health issue today uh, that is um, informed by the work that uh, Fred did so long ago. Uh, one of the things that I've uh, adopted and utilized in my own work is the unique uh, methodologic approach of using cases as uh, those with severe injuries and controls, uh, those with non-severe injuries. I think that's a very efficient and valid way for looking at injury etiology, where you can take the controls um, that need to meet the condition of being representative of the exposure experience of the source population that produced the cases. So I think that that was achieved in a very elegant way uh, in the initial paper. Um, and again, it was certainly informative for uh, for my work in the area of uh, skiing and snowboarding and injury prevention um, in that context. And then I think uh, the findings, um, again, have, have resonance in terms of public health and uh, still inform, I think, some of the, the strategies that we, we look at when trying to reduce the risk of uh, bicycle injuries uh, and importantly, severe bicycle injuries in terms of traffic calming uh, and, and other interventions. So uh, a number of reasons, again, I think the, the paper was very important and is still very influential. Fred, do you recall how the paper was received, either in terms of the methodology used or the public health implications that it suggested? Well, I think, as Brent said, the um, methodology was really of interest. There had been a few other studies looking at using the case control design to look at the effectiveness of different injury interventions, and I think, again, this was a nice example of that. The fact that helmets seemed to be effective, I think, was also important in this study, but also the issue of the neck injury. Um, this study showed that there was no association of neck injury with helmet use. At that time, there was concern that the helmets would actually increase the risk of neck injury by kind of increasing the friction between the head and helmeted head and a road surface, which could increase the torque on the neck and therefore increase the risk of neck injuries. Um, That was one of the reasons given by people that were anti-helmet use, that helmets might increase the risk of neck injury. So our finding that there was no association between helmet use and the risk of neck injury, I think, was quite important and well-received. Fred, how did this study influence or inform the work that you did subsequently, either in bicycle injury in particular or in injury more general? Well, I think that this study, like other studies, have shown that prevention of injuries really requires a multimodal response. Helmets clearly are effective, but the fact that motor vehicle crashes greatly increase the risk of severe injury is clearly important and points to the need to separate 
the bicyclists from motor vehicle traffic. So it emphasizes, again, the fact that to really achieve a overall reduction in injuries, you have to approach it from a variety of different um, venues. And Bassie Bell, can you maybe speculate a little bit about lines of research, prevention programs, or policies that we have today that were informed by this work? Yes. Uh, I was training as a pediatric physician in Baltimore at the time when this paper came out, and I really remember working every day to take care of kids who were injured, which is a privilege, but also going home every night and thinking to myself, "There's got we got to do better than this because I was seeing things day after day, uh, injuries that should not have happened. Uh, kids playing in the street because there was no place to play, you know, kids who were injured on a bicycle without a helmet, kids who are injured in a vehicle. And so there was this feeling of despair about the the nature of these serious injuries and the, the, the devastation they caused to a family and trying to think, I'm sure we could do better than this. So so this paper is a great example that in the prevention of injuries, we can do better. And when I learned a little bit more about public health, and this paper is a great example, it just shows us that we don't have to accept the way things are, that we could use research to show us a path to better health, and that many of these injuries are not accidents, but they are, in fact, injuries that are preventable through interventions that we can test and then we can also take those data and apply them to make people safer. Fred, if you were in the same position in your career now that you were 20 years ago, fairly early in the in your career, what question would you hope to tackle if you were going to do a similar study? What do you think, uh, what are the injury prevention questions or, or controversies that remain unanswered that you'd like to look at? Well, I, th- I think there are many. Um, for one thing, it's helmet use by those who I think are most vulnerable, which are teenagers. I think that helmet use is still not as high as all of us want it to be, and teenagers in particular are the least likely to wear helmets. So it's the whole issue of how do we bring around behavior change to increase the use of injury prevention programs. I think that the issue of separation of vulnerable road users such as bicycles and pedestrians from traffic is still a really important one. While bicycle injuries and pedestrian injuries have decreased, we still certainly see at our trauma center, as you know, um, people hit by motor vehicles as pedestrians or as bicyclists. I think as um, the traffic gets more congested, people hurry along on any streets that where there's not traffic. And those high speeds increase the risk of serious injury as shown in this article. So trying to address that issue of how do we protect vulnerable road users is still a clearly very important problem. And Brent, uh, Brent Hagel, from your vantage point, where is the leading edge of research or implementation in this particular field around safe transport, helmet use, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think that um, you know Fred outlined a number of areas that uh, we need to look more carefully at in terms of uh, perhaps qualitative research and and what motivates behavior change in that hard, those hard to reach populations. I think looking at the effect of traffic calming and separation of bicyclists from motor vehicles is a really key area. Moving from risk factor identification to actually evaluating in in a rigorous scientific way 
the interventions that uh, many uh, municipalities are adopting these days is, is really where things need to go. Um, moving away from putting the onus on the bicyclist, um, but uh, taking a look at the interaction of, of motor vehicles and, and how that influences our daily lives uh, and, and looking at better approaches for moving people around cities, I think, is, is a really uh, formative area of research that we need to do more in. And Bethy Bell, um, same question for you. Where do you think uh, where do you think we should be headed in our research endeavors or on a policy front in terms of of making the most of what we know and and really trying to to address the questions that are still unresolved? Well, I agree with everything that Fred and Brent have commented on, and so just a few things to add. One is to make it as easy as possible for folks to do the right thing for injury prevention. And that is going to be a fun and creative way. For helmet use, as an example, we have some new creative bike share programs. What can be done to make an easy helmet available for folks at the point of, of renting a bike on demand? Uh, a second area is going to be finding ways to measure exposure which is to say how many folks are biking to work and what routes are they taking. In vehicles, we have good systems that have been put in place in most cities so that we have accurate vehicle counts and traffic counts, but that kind of data is missing for most people who are taking other active forms of transportation like walking or biking and often even the, the route after you have left a public transportation mode. So that's an important question because if we look at bicycle injuries uh, going up, as an example, is this a consequence of a change in safety patterns or a change in vehicle patterns, um, or is this partly a consequence of the fact that we have more people biking? We need to separate out those causes and figure out uh, what we can do to make safety advances. And then I, I think, uh, just to emphasize what Fred and Brent are both saying, we need real-world studies that are focusing on the use patterns that really happen in our cities and rural areas and really focus on the actual injury rates. That's how we make progress in uh, a safer and more active world. Well, when those studies are done, we'll be happy to publish them in injury prevention. For now, that was Fred Rivara, Brent Hagel, and Bethy Bell discussing our anniversary archives selection in the February 2015 issue of Injury Prevention. It's entitled Epidemiology of Bicycle Injuries and Risk Factors for Serious Injury, a paper that was originally published in 1997, along with the linked commentary, Building the Evidence Base for Safe and Active Bicycling. These papers are available in the February 2015 issue of the journal Injury Prevention in print and online. Look for the anniversary archive section. And that concludes this edition of our podcast. You can join us in April for highlights from the next issue. 